welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Sarah Goffman of TC Communications. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. So you and I have had a conversation over the last week or so that revolved around, and the title for today's topic revolved around, am I too small for a firewall? That's two with two O's, not the number two and not T-O, just so anybody that's questioning if I screw this up on the posting that you know that I at least understand the difference between the two words, even though sometimes I don't write the correct word. So Sarah, we were talking about there are MSPs out there, right or wrong, that have given some maybe misguided direction to smaller businesses because of whether it's financially driven or it could even be lack of technical ability by the you know alleged MSP who who's just said you know it's easier if we just have to manage you know Windows workstations and keep them patched, but we're not going to get into like networking and firewalling. We're just going to pray that when things get plugged in, they're going to just work. But when you and I were talking, it was this idea that when bad things happen, when you think about the basics, some of the first things that come to mind is, did you have a firewall? Was it patched? Did it have like the latest security subscriptions? Was it turned on? Did it expire? Like all the things come to mind. Before we even get into all the potential other things that might have contributed to someone having a incident. I'll use the word incident because whether it's a breach or not, everything is at least an event. And based on some of the stories that you and I have talked about, in this particular case, um, the lack of or having a firewall wouldn't have necessarily prevented the specific case from happening, but it's definitely a contributor to just bad overall cybersecurity hygiene. So we were going back and forth a little bit before the show. We were talking about things like, you know, surfing the internet at Starbucks or surfing the internet in the airport and all the reasons why that's bad. But at the same time, complacency and the probability we take some of those risks every day, whether we use VPNs or not. I'd like to hear from you kind of walk me through when you say, hey, I think you need a firewall and really you know, we weren't really arguing this, but why is it so important, regardless of the size of the organization, to at a minimum have a firewall in place, especially when it's a static or non-changing environment? Like the perimeter for, say, the office is not my laptop and your laptop navigating the world. It's our main office has a location, and we're talking about that place as a specific needs to be secured for whatever the reason might be. Walk me through your why. I think that no matter what, you need to have a minimum of a firewall because even though you can hide your IP address, you can mask them, hackers are still going to find a way to get in. And a firewall is going to prevent that. It's going to prevent a denial service attack. It's the same thing as if you lived by yourself are you going to leave your front door unlocked? No, you're going to lock your front door. doesn't matter what other security measures you have. You're going to lock that door. And so that's one of the main reasons why 
we want to put a firewall in front of it. We want to make sure that we're stopping um, attacks in their tracks before it starts. So what you just said to me, and I think this is really interesting because I think we, you know, we're talking about this before. This is definitely not going to be a technical conversation. But what you just said to me is is some things that I think a lot of our end user, like the client space that you're talking to are like, what's well, what's denial of service? Or, you know, what does it mean for, for a threat actor to, to find me? Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about this earlier. If you're, if you're not natting, which would be at least a, a good router step to, it's not at least a public IP address where it gets to my laptop. So I'm not like broadcasting to the world. Like, Hey, if you find this IP address, yes, it's me. But I also think that there's there's a little bit of a, a problem there because when I think about how we go about doing just normal network maintenance in in an office environment, we do things like I can't for some reason I can't print, so we do things like ping the printer and it comes back, and if it doesn't have anything in the ping, we know we've got something screwy with our our endpoint. But the threat actors are kind of doing the same thing, right? Like they're they're broadcasting pings, they're doing the DDoS attacks. And, and I think this is an area where we don't often have a conversation with the prospect or the client about, hey, here's why a firewall is important, not the that bad things can't happen to you when you're at an airport or that bad things can't happen to you if we don't properly configure your laptop. But like, to your point, if I'm going to lock the doors in my house, what am I protecting at home that I need to lock the doors for? Is it because it's me and I'm worried? Uh, you know, if I think about what's what's behind that door. That's so important that I'm I'm willing to put a firewall on it versus I don't think we need one. So so I, I'm thinking about this from the perspective of as an MSP, what scenario could you ever possibly be in where what sits behind the door for whatever, whoever the prospect is, it says, you know what, you guys don't need a lock. Then it makes it really difficult for me if I have to do updates to your machines. If the door's locked, that means I need a key now to get in to update your computers. Because, you know, we don't do it remotely because we're that kind of MSP, right? Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is that we see a lot of times is companies saying, I'm too small. Someone doesn't need my information. They don't want my information. But when these bad actors are out there and they're pinging and they're finding ways into environments, they don't care. They don't know if you're a one-person operation or a 100,000 employee operation. They just know that they got in. And they can start doing research and find out how much they can exploit from you. And sometimes it's lift-based, right? Like if I had little to no effort to get five medical records or five identities of, of individuals, it's still five. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I didn't do anything to make the money in the first place. I happened to run a kit on a random IP address and it came back. I mean, it's like, it's like I don't need to go pan for gold. I have a job. But if I happen to, you know, throw my hat in the water and scoop out a gold nugget, I'm not going to be like, eh, and throw it back. Like they're, they're still going to, they're still going to cash in on that, that easy win. So, so I get the cost thing. I mean, I totally get it. Like we understand that if you're a small business, a lot of things can factor into your, your burden of you know, your overhead and what, what changes from you know, barely getting by to actually being profitable as an organization. But I think that this is also what gets often overlooked is that if, as a small business, there are some minimums that we should all be willing to embrace and say, 
I don't care if I'm a, an MSP that has decided that trunk slamming is the way I want to live my life. And I play golf three out of the seven days a week and I have a good client base and, and everything is, is great to go into a client and not feel a burden of responsibility to not make the recommendations for a minimum best practice that the industry embraces, not I've decided you, know, you should use, you know, master lock versus, you know, the, the, the ring doorbell lock. I, you know, I don't know, like, right. Like, so when we take this one step further to behind the, the door, if you will, we haven't talked about like keeping the metaphor alive, you know, are we locking windows? Do we regularly have, you know, a roof inspection or a chimney inspection to make sure that if I use the fireplace, I'm not going to, you know, set my house on fire. Like, what does that look like? Because I think that that is as critical and in fact, even potentially more so than, than the firewall and not trying to downplay the, the need for the firewall, because uh, I think it's easy to forget that the firewall isn't just protecting the eight or three or 10 computers. It's potentially, you know, phones and uh, printers and copiers and cameras. Shoot, it might even be like your Nest thermostat that sounds mundane when we talk about it out loud. Because what do you mean? I just plug it into the three wires and it only can connect to my phone. So what's the big deal there? So much is at stake because everything is plugged into the internet anymore. We could even use the argument that before we talk about security, let's just talk about quality and performance of services by having a device in place that actually optimizes traffic to benefit you, the end user. So I, I know we were talking about a specific story previously. Are you seeing this as somewhat common practice or are you seeing this like this is the exception to the rule and at least in the majority of opportunities there is some level of, of security in place that whether it's great, neither here nor there, but at least it has, say, the foundational or fundamentals in place? So we're actually seeing some of the smaller companies where they don't have the fundamentals in place. So they're not using firewalls or EDR for antivirus, um, don't necessarily have cybersecurity insurance and um, or even know what it using- is. Or even know what it is exactly, or using email secure any type of email security. Um, Some of the other things that we're seeing is storing passwords in web browsers as opposed to a password protection. You know, it's funny you bring that up because with you know LastPass being a recent um, right PTSD trigger for some people or a lot of people, uh, I had I've had multiple people say, well. It's a good thing I didn't use that because I just store them in the browser. And that is a tough, tough, tough conversation to have with an end user, let alone another MSP, uh, about why why that's not a uh, an acceptable alternative, um, no matter how bad the, the bad thing was with, with specifically LastPass. Um, do you get that? Do you get resistance on the products as much as you do the idea that you're trying to protect them? Like I, you know, I've been out of this space long enough. I feel like the world has changed almost in an instant. And then I realize it's been like five years since I was doing this, but 
I know the threat landscape has changed dramatically in five years and the tools and services, the price, the, the cost factor to cover the gaps has, has come way down from what it was four or five years ago, where even just the, the bare minimum to get the product into the environment required more seats than you potentially had the need for. Do you, do you run into the, the just, they just say no because of the cost? Or is it more of a no because they don't understand why you're trying to put that in their environment? They're still in that mindset, like we were talking about earlier, of we're too small to need this. I see both. Um, I have did a presentation a couple months ago and about telephone security and why you needed a firewall in front and different things sure. you should have in your organization. One of the attendees at the end of the presentation came up to me and said, why can't I just store my passwords on my phone? I had thought that they were looking, referring to a password protection. They had actually pictures of their username and password on their phone. And that's how that they were logging in. So this is something that's ongoing that we see. Some of it is lack of education, not understanding that that's an issue their response was, well, I have a four-digit password to get into my phone, so that should be enough security. The other part of it, we are seeing that people don't want to spend the money on security because, again, they keep saying they're too small to be breached and they don't need to worry about security. Sure. That gets that gets into that whole, I think, I think you brought up a really I, I you know, not placing those in any significant order on on what you see from a percentages standpoint, but it does make me think about the education one. I, uh, I attended uh corncon, which is, uh, I live in Iowa. So why wouldn't it be called corncon, but it's actually a cybersecurity conference. So put that into to context here. And I was, I had the opportunity to listen to someone present on securing my home network. And I thought, you know, not trying to put, we know, trying to say like in advance that I already knew the answer. I thought I'm going to go check this out because I thought, you know, he's, he's catering this to like the enterprise space. So a lot of the people there were more executives than it. So I was, I was kind of interested in, in listening and man, he goes through this whole thing and, and he leads with like, these are the 14 things we're going to cover today. And I'm like, Oh boy, I'm in for this is like a level 301 class for like the home network. Right. Um, everything from the way the firewalls configured to VLANing at home and, and what was really interesting, and I, and I think this is to your point about the education piece, I don't think, and, and COVID really put this into to the limelight of where's my office. And if we're saying that you need to have a firewall at home, regardless of how many devices you have, kind of to your point, if you live at home alone, you lock the doors. I don't know if I, even with a whole family living in my house, if we're not at home, we lock the door, right? Like, so obviously there's something in my house worth taking. I just haven't figured out what it is yet. Um, but as he was going through the presentation, I realized that while a lot of it was, uh, I, I was able to palette and, and process and say, I could do this. I quickly realized how many people in this room, let alone in our current culture, are able to do those things because our technology space, as we know it, whether you buy it from Best Buy or Staples or Office Max, wherever you go to get some of your tech, it doesn't come with a, how do you properly configure for security optimization? It comes with an easy button for the convenience and efficiency optimization. Like, don't call us, 
Like, just push the button. And oh, by the way, we know you're stupid. So we put the password on the bottom of the box just for you, right? Are exactly. we are we being ignorant and blind as solution providers? And I'm and I, I throw myself into this by not forcing the conversation that says we have to educate better so that those who believe they are too small are coming to us and saying, I need more. I know what I have now is not enough. I think we do need to do a better job of educating. There's been several stories of, I'm part of different MSP groups, um, networking groups, and there's been stories that I've heard across the board of previous MSPs and the education level that they've offered to their clients. But education is one of the main components that we can use to help prevent these attacks, or at least make sure that if the client or the company is attacked in some, if there's a security incident, that they can recover from it. And they're not just going to be out of business because now their entire client's um, information's out there and they have no way to recover from it. The um, ConnectWise has a saying that is the, it's not just a saying, but they have a, a program or a model that talks about the blast zone. You hear right of boom frequently where the event has occurred. How how big was the, the right of boom? What was the impact? And and uh, ConnectWise brings up a good point with the blast zone is is both sides, right? It's both sides of the boom because after that happens, that has a direct impact on everything else, including how you prospect, who's willing to listen to you, what did we get wrong? Like there's so many things that have to be taken into account. And I think as a collective whole, and, th and this is one of the reasons why CompTIA has the, has the trust mark is we've got to educate the MSP community first, really, before we can do a better job of educating the, the client prospects and the end users, because we're still not doing largely, we're still not doing even what we tell the prospect to do. Like, hey, we're going to put this firewall in. We don't use firewalls in our offices, but you should use firewall because I'm selling it, right? Like you, you've heard that. I mean, Absolutely. Um, and, and the worst part about it is, and this is kind of funny, no one said you have to use the same firewall and we're so hung up on the client responds with, well, what do you use? And if you tell them that they're suddenly going to be, I can't have this in my office, it's not what you use. And I think that if we were prepared for that question to say, we're a different organization, we are a different business than you, and here's why, that conversation would be less and less frequent. Absolutely. Um, and one of the things that there's a lot of disservice that we're providing to our clients by not having that conversation of this is what you need as a minimum. Sure. And clients do come to us and say, what are you personally using? Well, we're different. We're an MSP. You're not an MSP. We're going to have higher levels of security. I like that higher level or more advanced or, you know, a specific plug to, you don't want to keep asking what we have because we're more than happy to 
potentially put that in your environment. Oh, by the way, it costs a lot more than what we're asking you to spend today. Exactly. The platinum package, it's not currently on our line card. You just signed up for it. <laughs> that's, I think that would be, that's the slam dunk, right? Right, exactly. That's what everybody needs. Well, so so along those lines, it's kind of interesting what you said. I think we we have a opportunity, you know, through education that basically says, uh, if this is a do what I, this is a do what I'm doing. And I to, to what you said about the disservice, do you think that's tied to, the the MSP MRR or you know the monthly recurring revenue MRR where we did a really good job over the years of continuing to to uh, package inside a, a nice shiny bow with a box or however you want to describe it that had a number attached to it that was per user per endpoint doesn't matter there's there's different ways of of, of peeling this back but we started putting things in there that we did early on because it was just par for the course, right? If you have an endpoint, you have these five things on it, no exceptions. Antivirus, old school, um, RM, the uh, the RMM tool so I can patch it. And who knows, maybe there's one or two other things. And that was pretty much the definition of what had to be on the endpoint in order for us to incorporate that endpoint or the user into. And then 365 came about and they're like, hey, we're going to give you five seats for the one seat you're paying for. And all of a sudden we're like, man, this is getting complicated to do it times the endpoint when some of the stuff we're selling is times five endpoints. But we're now back to, there are gaps in an environment that that stack does not account for. And we never broke the stack out and called it, hey, this is the security component. No, we just said this is to be in the in the uh, monthly flat fee, all you can eat, had to have these following things. Now we fast forward and it's like, okay, how do I break out firewall management when we didn't call it out before? Or why do I need EDR? Like you list, you used to just have this like bundle thing per user. And now you're telling me it's going to go up 30%. What are you putting in it? All of a sudden you have to show them what's going into the stack. And I think that's where it starts to crumble because if you show them in the stack, it's this firewall or it's this advanced threat protection and then now you got to explain it we never had to explain these things before so do you think there's a path forward where it's like maybe we don't have to talk about the the speeds and feeds get technical and just say hey the threat landscape's changing in order for us to address that threat landscape in any meaningful way to reduce your right of boom or to reduce the blast zone radius for your entity this is the new overhead that not just you are paying for but we're incurring too like this isn't like i have to add more to my environment as an msp it's not just you have to add it we're all taking a it's like everybody's bailing right and if we all bail together maybe the boat will stop sinking i think one of the things that we really need to make sure we're doing with our clients is speaking in layman's terms because Our clients are not necessarily technical. You come across occasionally one of those people that you can say a certain term and they'll understand what it is. Or they're at least but if we tell, before. Right, exactly. But if we say blast zone, 90% of my clients are not going to understand what blast zone sure. is. I mean, they kind of understand a concept behind it. But I think if we start breaking this down and saying, this is going to do this. and have it be 
um, very basic terms, I think that's going to help us educate our clients a lot. But we do need to start breaking out our security stacks and improving our security stacks that we have as our basics. But we also need to educate our clients as to why they have it. And you also don't have to be afraid of doing, you know, not doing it yourself, right? I've heard that a lot too. Like, yeah, we've we've got all of our security is in-house and great for you if you can pull it off. But I, I think we're at a time in in his in history with with current service offerings from vendors that puts uh, us in a position of we can offer a lot more than we used to be able to with resources that are qualified to help us deliver where previously there was no way we could hire enough resources to staff what our clients need from a security perspective. And I, and I think we have to be better at embracing that because it's, it's hard, right? Like you and I both remember the days when, uh, Hey, the copier guys are are at my clients right now. We should be there because you know, they're going to sell them on how to, you know, take the printers out of the room and put copiers in there because then, then we don't have that anymore. And we're not doing print management, print management as a copier or man, the copier guys are now doing network management. And now they're doing it services. Well, okay. Yes, that's happened. Or the VoIP guys that now do IT, we've all seen it. But the reality is there's a lot of security stuff out there. And if they're truly a security company offering, you know, SOC services, those kind of things, they're not competing with you on the managed services side. No, not at all. And we actually have a third-party SOC team because we know security, but if we can have a SOC team that's there to help us out, it makes us even a stronger position to help our clients. I like it. So as we wrap up, and obviously we've gone way away, away from the firewall itself. Um, We all know if the lights are blinking green, that's a good firewall sign. It's a good sign your firewall is doing its job, right? Uh, Sarah, is there anything else you'd like to leave for our listeners? Which by the way, uh, thanks to all of the MSP Ignite listeners. We know there's a lot of you that are listening. So uh, as Sarah is also an MSP Ignite member, I'm pretty sure what she says next will probably be very profound. So I would say be part of a networking group. Um, if you can be part of a um, peer independent, group? yes, a peer group that's independent. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. There. That's all right. Do you I be part I of an independent peer group? That's not backed by a specific company. It's going to give you a lot more networking. But even if you do join one that's backed by a specific company, it's a great way to meet, go to the meetings with ask, talk to people, find out what, learn from each other. There's so much that you can learn from other people and their experiences, experiences that you have that you can share with other people. It's a way for us to help protect our clients and join against the fight against bad actors. Right. And that's the, uh, I say this a lot. If you're part of any peer group or you're where, where your peer group is focused on cybersecurity or, or you're just with a group of peers, that's got a, an, an agenda of targeting cybersecurity as a, you know, place to mature your business. I think that we can only, we can only do well when we journey together because in the cybersecurity space, it is a lonely, lonely place to be if you are doing this without your peers. And I don't care if it's a competitor, I don't care if you call them your frenemy, but the reality is when we go against the threat actors, that's a far larger uh, 
threat to our businesses than the MSP down the street that you think isn't good enough. Regardless, they're more likely to be your ally in the time of need than anybody in any of the nation states trying to figure out how to get into your uh, firewall list client's office. So with that, I want to thank everybody for uh, listening. And this is, well, this is the beginning of the week. So thanks and have a great week.